When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into another edition of Talking Ducks. Oregon with one of their most dominant victories in recent memory. We will look back at what they did in Salt Lake City and how they maybe distanced themselves from the rest of the conference. Also, a matchup coming up against Cal. We'll quickly touch on that. But the important question is, how good can this Oregon team be? Has Bo Nix entered the Heisman conversation? Plus, we'll answer a couple of your tweets and questions as well, too. Great to interact with you guys. But let's go ahead and get to our opening drive brought to you by Capital Toyota, your way on the highway. We welcome in the crew. We're all back. We're all healthy. It feels like we're together for the first time in nearly three weeks. We've got Aaron Fentress from the Oregonian, Joey Harrington, and Anthony Newman. And Joey, I want to start with you. I'm watching this game against Utah on Saturday, and you're just kind of blown away by Oregon runs away. Then last night, I'm up at like 2 a.m. I'm watching the highlights on YouTube like some degenerate while I'm feeding the Twins. And I tell you what, Joey, how good did Oregon look? I'm looking at Bo Nix, and it just felt like he was surgical on offense. And this was just a complete beatdown. And I told people, one of the more impressive victories I've seen in recent Oregon history. Somebody asked me the question um, on a podcast earlier this week, what can Oregon improve on? And I said, okay, let me think about this. No. Well, no, no, like after this Utah game, okay, what are some of the things that Oregon could improve on? Um, You know, maybe having, offensively having the pass game lead the run instead of the run game lead the pass, right? We saw them start against Washington State a little bit slow because they started, you know, because they came out chucking the ball. Well, what did Bo do? He started the first quarter just by going zap, 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 touchdown. Defensively, like they, I, I know that, I know that Utah wasn't great on offense, but the way that they absolutely hemmed them up, um, offensively, the way they opened holes for that running game against, I mean, the best defense in the in the conference. This was as good a game top to bottom as I've seen Oregon play in. I mean, I honestly, I don't know that I could think of, think of a time. I mean, do you have to go back to Marcus? You know, the, the one thing, the one thing that I could potentially, you know, and we're nitpicking here. At the end of the second quarter, they're up 21-6. You saw them start to get a little bit conservative. Start running the ball, take your foot off the gas, maybe a little bit. And they had a, they had a drive where they punted. 
<laughs> you know, oh, and then you kind of, oh, come on. And you, and you saw them kind of take a minute to figure out how to get their foot back on the gas. But here's what made me actually feel really good about that is you saw Bo's reaction. You saw the way that he, and also was yelling at his players, but was demanding excellence from his players. You know, telling the tight ends to run, making sure guys got to their spots. Like there was an intensity to Bo Nix, even in the situation when you're up 21-6 on the road against arguably the best team, you know, against the best defense in the, in the conference. So um, I don't know what your original question was, but that was as good a game <laughs> as I've seen Oregon play in a long time. You kind of got around to it, yeah. so you, you get a pass there. And Anthony, it's funny, Joey is wondering as good of a game since when. And it reminds me when you and I were watching the Rose Bowl against Florida State, and every time Oregon would score or get a stop, we would go into the hallway because we're in the press box and can't celebrate. And we would chest bump and hug every single time Oregon was doing that. This, to me, felt like as complete of a game as what we saw when you look at the quality opponent and just going on the road and what we thought this game was going to be coming into this season, Anthony. Well, I've never seen a Utah defense get beat up like they did. I mean, wow. Well, let's go back. Also think about 2019 in the Pac-12 championship game when Utah had a great running game and they always have, they always have a good defense and Oregon put it on them. You know, when I think it was Justin Herbert uh, won the MVP and for and then uh, Brady Breeze, the defensive MVP, MVP. So, you know, you don't see Utah at home getting beat like that. And Oregon played well as a team, offense, defense and special teams. And they were efficient. There was execution. Uh, there wasn't mistakes. They didn't beat themselves. And that's what Dan Lanning keeps talking about. You know, we beat us. No one else can beat us. And if, we, if they play like that, they won't be beat. All right, Aaron. A couple of wow, Oregon man. Ducks and former Ducks have sat here. We have just sung the praises of this Oregon team after this win against Utah. I know this is where you typically come in with a dose of reality. You salt the Kool-Aid here. What was your takeaway from this one after Oregon? I got mean, the after that, I, I'm feeling like Oregon should maybe just jump up to the NFL. Replace my bears, or, or just, or just I mean, hand them wow. the national championship. You could just give it, to, you know, just like here, just take it. We could just yeah, end the season. Like the rest of the you season. Know. Man, um, <laughs> you know, I brought a bag of salt up here. <laughs> but I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not finding many reasons to reach into it and, and, and sprinkle. Uh, look, I had 27-24 Oregon. I thought it was going to be a battle. I thought Oregon's Offense might struggle a bit against Utah's defense, and then you'd have to turn to Knicks to maybe sort of carry the team. Instead, they just came out slinging it, just slinging it all over the place like Utah wasn't even there, and then mixing in the run with the pass. Bo Nix was completely on fire. Utah had no answer. They so showed some cutaway shots of Whittingham on the sideline looking completely befuddled as to what to do, as if he didn't know any of those things were coming uh, while he prepped all week. So, yeah, offensively, absolutely, completely impressive to go in there and do that against a really good Utah defense. A defense that usually can do well against even teams that have a lot of athletes and do a lot of different things because of how they control the line of scrimmage and how hard they hit and the aggressive they play. But, man, Oregon made them look like a mediocre, you know, FCS team like a big defense 12 on, team. That, on that game. Right? Just, just really just ate them, up, ate them to pieces. Now, I think we're going to talk about the defense later. That's the only caveat in this for me, and we can get to that in a minute. But 
for the most part, this is sort of what I was waiting for. Like a signature win against a good team, and especially on the road is nice, to sort of piece things together in terms of what they've done this season. Because up until this weekend, they didn't really have any signature wins, and they're the most prolific opponent they faced, they lost to. So this was a very nice victory that sort of solidify where they are in the rankings. We're going to talk about the defense now, Aaron. And okay. let's get to you, Joey, because you've kind of harped on this all season long. The difference for Oregon this year, what, what seems to be the secret ingredient, the, the final urban spice, would you say, is this defense. There's just something about it that has been a lot more consistent this year. Well, what are you seeing from your perspective as far as why it feels like this Oregon team just has a different vibe to it going into November? I'm, I'm pulling up my um, immediate information machine right here, trying to figure out what it is that Aaron had qualms with with this defense. Now, yes, no, qual it, no qualm. No hold qualm on, hold Oregon. on. Just, just hold go on. Ahead. Go ahead. Listen, hold on. Aaron, listen. Now, I, I will start by saying they had their third-string quarterback, and they are decimated at, uh, at tailback, you know, having a safety play, and then they're, you know, they're starting tailback, uh, getting hurt halfway through the game. So, yes, that, that was an issue. They held them under 100 yards rushing. They held them under 150 yards passing. They had two picks. They stopped them on fourth down. They pressure like they were in the backfield. Like I know it wasn't. I know this wasn't a great Utah offense, but at least in years past, in a game like this, Oregon's defense would let them run for a buck fifty. They'd give up two fifty through the air. They'd you know instead of thirty five to six, it would be a thirty five to twenty four type of game. Like. It actually made me feel better watching him play this way, watching him distribute the, the, the tackles for loss. Well, I, the thing that has me feeling so good about this defense is that it's not just one guy. Like we, I don't know that I heard the name, um, oh God, uh, I was gonna say Luther Ellis, um, for crying out loud. <laughs> Again, I didn't hear his name if, you know, for, for Utah, uh, Jonah Ellis. You know, when you can neutralize one guy on a defensive side and have the entire defense just go away, like Oregon doesn't have that one guy. It's Jordan Birch. It's Brandon Dorless. It's Mateo Uyunglele. It's Williams. It's, it's Jackson. It's like you go down the list and everybody is doing their part. And I think that makes what makes me feel really good about this defense is that not only is it not one guy, it's not just Kayvon. Right? It's not just a single player. They're doing it as a unit. And in a situation where they very easily could have just kind of let up and you know, given up three touchdowns, they held them six points. I'd say that's a hell of a day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anthony, I want to give you some room to talk about this defense. What are you seeing from them? Why has it been so much better this year? Where did this improvement come from? No, 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 no. I want to hear Aaron say something first. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, go ahead. <laughs> okay, there was this one play in the third quarter. It was like third and eight, and they gave up the first down. I was like, this defense is whack, bro. What's up with this? No. Um, look, all you can do is play the opponent in front of you, and 
Utah's just not good offensively, but Oregon did dominate them. Like Joey said, all, if they're not good on offense, then dominate them. And that's what Oregon did. Which so they I give did. credit for doing what they did to a very, let's just say, bad offense, averaging 21 points per game or what have you, four yards per carry, which is very uncharacteristic for a Utah offense. Um, you know, Joey mentioned most dominant victories or complete victories since. He went all the way back to Mariota. I can stop pretty much at the last time they play, played these guys. Well, 2019 Pac-12 title game when they are sorry. Newman brought this up, but they went into that game a 14-point dog, I think, and completely dominated on both sides of the ball. But that Utah team was really good. This Utah team, not so much. They've been kind of winning with smoke and mirrors, winning games 14 and 7, shutting teams down. You know, I think if one thing this game showed is that USC's defense is horrible and the Ducks will drop 60 on them. But look, I'm going to give the D an A. I'm just going to say that I'm not over the moon by the performance because you played a third string quarterback with a weak running game. What are you getting? Come on. I, I thought you said last week that if Oregon wins this game, that, yeah, I, I mean, you said Utah is, is the difference maker for you on how good Oregon is. I and just said Oregon, that, in, my, in the first now, segment I said that. Yeah, but if Oregon wins this game. So I don't know why you keep jabbing. You keep throwing, trying to throw a little piece of salt. Like, no, period. You hold a team to six points, two field goals. Are you? I don't care what team you are. Are you kidding me? And I just now said you, that. You, Utah Dude, was, I literally just said that. Utah was six and one, right? Six right. and one. So they're finding a way to win. They found ways to win. And then everybody was talking about, oh, the safety's playing running back and, and this guy's playing this position and all these good things. And Oregon went in there and just kicked their, you know what? So, <laughs> period. When you look at this Oregon football there. team, from an offensive standpoint and a defensive standpoint, they can play. You better bring your lunch if you're going to play against them. It's not about the other team who they're playing. It's about who's playing Oregon. Period. End of story. All right, Aaron, thanks for being the punch. <laughs> okay, well, Anthony. it's been I fun. appreciate that. <laughs> so, Anthony, I appreciate you letting Awesome's team here. All right, we got to get to the next segment. When we come back, we're going to talk about Bo Nix. Gosh, one of the most masterful performances he's put on. We'll talk about whether or not he's entered into this Heisman Trophy race. A lot more talking ducks. Anthony will still be fired up when we come back. <laughs> You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back to Talking Ducks. Time now for our legendary performance, brought to you by Abby's Legendary Pizza. Here is Bo Nix, his thoughts on the Heisman Trophy race, and also Dan Lanning chiming in. Well, I think that's something that comes with playing really good team football, and so um, my ultimate goal is to do whatever I can to win games. Um, the guys in the locker room know that I want to win a championship, and we're going to do everything we can to go back to work on Monday to do that because uh, we got it right in front of us. We can really feel it, and um, that's all we want to take care of. Um, so all this, um, you know, really it's just going to be chatter and talk and noise, and we got to uh, make sure that we don't get distracted by it, myself included, and um, I'm just going to go to work to win games. You know, I think um, completion percentage uh, could have been better today and got to find ways to be more efficient, got to find ways to get third downs. Um, and so until that happens, um, I'm not going to be very um, – or I'm not going to be comfortable until all that happens. I'm not going to be um, complacent. 
I want to say it again, Bo Nix is the best quarterback in the nation, just to be really clear. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And again, it's not just the plays he makes on the field, right? I think a lot of people can talk about chasing stats and all these things. This guy just plays consistent. He gets us in the right call. He comes to the sideline, helps us through adjustments. He tells us what he sees. Uh, and then he's an unbelievable person. As usual, Joey, Bo's pretty ho-hum, worried about the team, landing high praise for starting quarterback. But I mentioned this at the top here, Joey, it's amazing when you watch the first couple of scoring drives for Oregon and just how quick and precise Bo's decision-making was as he was carving up this Utah defense. I mean, you're sitting back and watching this. What's going through your mind as you're really processing what Bo was doing on the road there? This was as good as I've seen him play. Um, I mean, th th this is the thing. What, what, what was I thinking as I'm watching him carve up the defense? First of all, I was surprised they came out throwing the ball like that. I was pleasantly surprised to see, because they came out throwing the ball against Washington State, got a little sidetracked, you know, all right, get the ball, run the game, or running game going, and now we're back on track. They came out just chucking the pill, and Bo couldn't miss. The thing with him, watching him this year, is I'm trying to figure out what his, what his bad game was, right? You know, Oregon obviously lost to Washington, but he still threw for 330 and, and a couple of touchdowns, three touchdowns in that game. You know, his bad game, you know, he only threw for like 250 against Utah, but that's because they shut it down at the end of the game. Um, he threw an interception against Colorado, but he also had three touchdowns and 275. Like, his bad games compared to Michael Penix throwing two picks in the first half against Arizona State, compared to J.J. McCarthy throwing three pack picks in, early in the season, like, I don't know. Like, his level of consistency, his level of control, his level of absolute command over what is happening. There was a play, um, there was a play in the first half where he gets up, you could see the, the, the play clock's running down. He gets up to, to change the call, comes back, and then sees the shift, comes back and changes it again. Says, this is the look that we were planning for. I got it, one, two, three, snap. Gets the ball out, running back, touchdown, bam, there we go. Like, those are the kind of things that Bo Nix is doing. And they're just, he's doing it so often, and he's doing everything else so well that those kind of things are just ho-hum. It's like, uh, oh, well, he just checked out of a play with three seconds left on the play clock and threw a touchdown. You know, oh, well, here we go. Like, it's, it's his level of consistency, his level of efficiency. You know, knock on wood, there literally has not been a moment other than maybe the first quarter against Washington State, where I've said, yeah, Bo's looking a little bit off right now. Um, he, he has just been so spot on from start to finish. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, and now you look at this conversation here, Aaron, and coming into the season, you saw the Bo Nix Heisman Trophy campaign. You saw the billboards going up in Dallas and New York, and then things kind of tallied off, especially after that loss to Washington. But now you're starting to hear his name pop up consistently as that fourth option. There's an argument to say that Bo Nix, of all these other players, has the easiest remaining schedule with a couple of marquee games that if they get some victories, it's really going to help vault him. What do you make about Bo Nix in this Heisman Trophy race? Do you think he's one of the final three that'll get the invite to New York City? Is it only three now? I think so. 
They don't still take out the five? I've seen years where there have been five. I think it just has to do with where the voting comes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, see, I never went, so I wouldn't know. (laughs) I I thought maybe they restricted it recently. Uh, Look, if if they lose one more game and don't win the conference title, but he plays well in that game, I think he's still going to be in the top five, whether he's going to be close enough to be invited to New York. I guess we'll wait and see. But the... I mean, the only thing he's not doing this year that he did last year is he's not running the ball as much. Like last year, I think he finished with 500 yards, 14 touchdowns. This year, he only has 100 yards and a couple touchdowns. But that's by design and not reflective of his, of his ability. It's not like he's passing up chances to run, but those numbers stick out to the voters, right? When the voters, which I am one, look at the stats, they tend to like, oh, this guy rushed for 14 touchdowns and threw for 30. That sticks out more than maybe just throwing for 30. But if they can win out and win the conference title, there's no doubt he should be in New York because he's putting together, as Joey said, one of the more efficient seasons definitely in the history of this program. I mean, that one interception just leaps out at you. Like, How do you have one interception, you know, this many games into a season? I mean, Marcus, I think, finished his last year with four or five, I think, which obviously was amazing. But that one is just phenomenal. And then you talk about the leadership. You talk about the command he has of this offense and how everything pretty much revolves around him. I think he absolutely, as of right now, would have to be invited to New York. Jordan, let me jump, let me jump in here real quick because I think Aaron oh, said something more punching really back. important. No, 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 no. I think, I think he said something really important, which is that Ooh. historically people look at the stats, right? People look at the stats because they go to sleep on the East Coast. Because, you know, you get to see Bo play once or twice a year and then you wake up and it's like, oh, he had 14 rushing touchdowns or, you know, the country has gotten a chance to see Bo play against Colorado, Washington, Utah. They'll get to see him against SC and Oregon State and a Pac-12 champion, potential Pac-12 championship game. That's six times that the country, the entire country, and we're not talking about like 7.30 p.m. kicks. These are all prime time, 12, you know, 12.30, 3.30 kicks right in the middle of the day where the entire country is watching. So I think that there will be less, less emphasis placed on stats because everybody has gotten a chance to see him play. And that's going to be the difference between... You know, pick a, pick a player, you know, who, who hasn't had the opportunity to have all the eyeballs on, on him. And so he needs to have that massive stat line when everybody wakes up the next morning. I think if people saw, when people saw the way that Bo Nix played against Utah, they don't care if he had 253 or 297 through the air. They saw the type of player that he was and saw that he was deserving to be in New York at the end of the year. Let me ask you this, Anthony. There's, there's two things that kind of jump out to me as well, too. Everyone looks at how a candidate finishes the season, right? Those games in November and early December really mean a lot more. Don't want to put the cart before the horse, but let's say Oregon wins out. You get a rematch against Washington and Penix. You win that game. You would assume Oregon's in the playoff. Are there any other Heisman Trophy candidates that are going to be guiding their team to a playoff spot, number one, or will have the chance to really rectify one of their losses later in the season. I guess what I'm saying is, is there a chance that Bo still isn't out of the race to win this whole thing if Oregon continues to win out and play at the level that they're playing at? That's a lot of what ifs. <laughs> you lost them at the You're second. the one guy I can count on for my what ifs, though. You Come lost on. them at the second what if, Jordan. Yeah. 
the, the, the only thing that, that I can look at, I mean, there, there's other candidates out there that, you know, that can do their job. But the problem is if their team doesn't win, what happens? You know, uh, McDaniels at, at, uh, at LSU, they got to play Alabama. I mean, so those scenarios are, are, are tough to look at. Here's what I see in this. I, I see this. Bo Nix is a coach's dream. Okay, and Joey, you know this. He's a coach's dream because he has a young man at the quarterback position that touches the ball every snap, okay, and controls the offense. He has a young man that's very educated, understands the game. He's a coach on the field. Joey talked about him changing the play. The defense checked out. Then he went and changed the play again with the clock running, play clock running. That was incredible. I'm And then – when Jordan James caught the ball, there was no one around him. I mean, that was the perfect play. So you got a young man who's doing his homework, okay, during the week, understanding the defense. All you can do is try to get the other teammates to play as good. And then when your team wins, then, yes, he really has a big-time chance of getting or winning the Heisman because there's no other quarterback that can play like him right now. I mean – He's playing balls out. He really is. It's just, it's incredible. But yet your team still has to win a lot of times. They got to, you know, you got to keep winning football games. Jordan, let me, let me, can we say that on TV? (laughs) Uh Oh, (laughs) he's balling out. He's balling out. Jordan, Jordan, let me. Balling out, Bo Nix. One last quick thought, Joey. Okay. Okay. I'm dropping my pen. You have to, you have to understand with this award, it's going to come down to, what happens at the end of the season and who sees it, right? Penix is going to play Bo potentially in a, in a Pac-12 championship game, right? Whoever wins that is going to have the leg up. McCarthy is going to play Ohio State at the end of the year. If he plays well, he's going to be up at the top. I don't think Travis at Florida State is going to have a meaningful game. Um, you know, Daniel at, at LSU... Probably, you know, they already have two losses, probably not going to be in a championship game. Like, those are the type of things that, get, that, that are part of the equation. And I think if you're looking at that, Penix, Bo, J.J. McCarthy, Marvin Harrison, you know, those guys have an opportunity to make a splash and do those memorable things against a potential, you know, against another Heisman candidate in front of the entire country. And those are the things that are remembered at the end of the season when voters are checking the boxes. All right, when we come back, Dan Rubenstein will join the show. We have these college football playoff rankings coming out the first set of the season. We'll break those down with him. Plenty more Talking Ducks when we come back. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back to Talking Ducks. It's time now for It Never Rains with our good friend Dan Rubenstein from the Solid Verbal. And Dan... College football playoff rankings, they come out. It's the first batch for the season. And really just the overall surprise was Ohio State getting the number one overall seed after Georgia had been number one in the AP for the entire season. You've got that followed by what you see with Georgia at number two. You've got Michigan at number three. And then Florida State at number four. I might have gotten those mixed up. But either way, what are your thoughts on the rankings here, this first batch that recently came out? It sort of makes sense to me. I mean, the committee is rewarding Ohio State for going on the road and beating Notre Dame as weird and low scoring as that game may have been and how Ohio State's offense is a little bit behind where it's been recently. It makes sense. Um, 
The Georgia-Michigan thing is, I think, a scheduling thing as well. Georgia had their game against Oklahoma canceled when Oklahoma joins the SEC. Michigan has had no schedule whatsoever, and Florida State, of course, beats LSU. So they're ahead of Washington because of that quality win. And Oregon behind Washington, look, head-to-head is a data point, and I think it's an important data point that at this point in the season. But I think Oregon is playing on a higher level right now, and it wasn't a decisive win. Oregon had that ability to win that matchup, and it looks like we might be on a collision course to see these two teams play again in Vegas. So it'll be settled then one way or the other. This Ohio State-Michigan issue, it's going to be another particular case where the team that loses won't play in their conference championship game. Does that concern any Duck fans? The fact that you're going to have a one-loss Ohio State or Michigan sitting there potentially that the committee is going to have to make a decision upon versus an Oregon team that might have one loss. Do you think that's going to go to the Pac-12 team that ends up winning that conference championship game? Or do you see the Big Ten getting two teams in there possibly? No, I don't I don't think the Pac-12 will be left out because another conference gets two in. I think what Ohio, Ohio State would have to probably lose impressively to Michigan and Michigan destroy somebody in the big 10 championship game. And then that have that coupled with the big 12 falling apart, maybe the ACC falling apart, big 12 falling. Like it would, there would have to be so many dominoes this year. I think for a conference to get two teams in, I think if you're an Oregon fan, the, the immediate worry right now is you got to be a big, big LSU fan. You got to get Alabama that second loss because this is a team that has a playoff caliber defense and an offense that's just good enough to beat a lot of different teams. That if Alabama is able to get into the SEC championship game and beat Georgia, and then suddenly you have a Georgia team that's going to get probably a more pronounced benefit of the doubt than any team in the country with an Alabama champ. And then you're saying, well, Georgia did play Oregon last year and Georgia's been killing everybody this year and Oregon did barely get by Texas Tech and Oregon did lose to Washington. So that's the the issue that I think a lot of a couple of these one-loss teams are looking at right now is Alabama's the big team where you're just like I they need to get that second loss in order to feel better. Um I I just don't think when you have what Florida State has in front of it, which is not a ton, when you have Texas having an injured quarterback, and so maybe they drop one this last month. Oklahoma's looking a little bit more mortal. I am extraordinarily confident that if Oregon takes care of business and wins out and wins the Pac-12 championship and doesn't you know, win a game 12-9 to in a way that Washington beat ASU or something like that, Oregon will be in. I'm, I'm very confident. And I think that's what it comes down to. How important is it for Oregon the fact that the only team that's beaten you is the team you'll get a chance to line up against again in the Pac-12 championship game. I mean, we saw this before in 2014, right? When they have the loss to Arizona, then they smash him in the Pac-12 championship game. I'm sure that goes a long way for this committee if you show that you can beat a team on a neutral site that you lost to by a last-second field goal miss on the road. Yeah, and what, 36 hours before the committee makes its final decision. So it's not like you're saying, well, they did this earlier in the season and then beat them again five weeks ago before we have four other data points. So that's the, that's going to be the most recent game. And whichever whichever two teams are playing, whatever the result is, it's much more important because that's, that's the finished product version of that team. So yeah, you have the opportunity to prove on the field on a neutral site with more time to get your act together that you are the superior team. If that comes to pass, absolutely. Final question for you. In yeah. years past, it's felt like with what we've seen with Georgia, with what we've seen with Alabama and LSU, there has been a team that has just been head and shoulders better than everybody else. You look at the four 
teams in the playoff right now versus what we've seen from Oregon the last couple of weeks, how close is that gap, in your opinion, between what Oregon's put on the field versus Ohio State at number one? Is it closer than it's ever been this year, in your opinion? Yeah, I think so. I think right now, if I had to bet my own very few American dollars on a top, <laughs> I, I would put Oregon as the number three team in the country based on pure ceiling and recent results. Uh, and look, we don't have any sample size right now. I'd have them behind Georgia and Michigan. I'd have them ahead of Ohio State because of I think Ohio State is a point worse per drive now transitioning to Kyle McCord from C.J. Stroud, which is about 12 points-ish uh, when you break it down on a drive level. Um, and Florida state, I think is very, very good. I think they're a little bit inconsistent. You saw the close, res uh, uh, result against Boston college, just barely getting by Clemson and I mean, they won in the last second, essentially. So I, I think Oregon has been a little bit more complete. And right now I, I have them a little bit behind Georgia and Michigan, but Michigan is sort of cloudy and forget the off field stuff. They're just schedule is not indicative of what Michigan is or isn't other than an excellent team should take care of business in the way that Michigan has. But you'd like to see more of a test before fully forming an opinion on the Wolverines. All right. Sounds good, Dan. Thanks again for joining us. Stick around. Plenty more Talking Ducks when we come back. You're watching Talking Ducks built by Par Lumber. We're good, right? We're a good team right now. Um, and really what you do in November, you know, that's going to determine if we're a great team. And um, we want to play our best football at the end of the season. We've played our best football to date this last week, um, and we have to play better going forward. So if we continue to grow, I think that just shows what we're capable of. And, and we, we watched the film and said, wow, we could have played a lot better. So um, that's certainly a positive moving forward. All right, that was Dan Lanning, his thoughts on the team as they get set to head into a critical November stretch. And with that, it's time now for our mailbag. And let's start with Nathan Cope. Yeah, we appreciate the questions. His question, this program hasn't had an undefeated November since Vernon Adams was QB in 2015. What makes you think this team is different than years past and can go 4-0 in November? Anthony. I think you're well qualified to answer this one because your specialty is, I think, on the side of the ball that makes the difference as to why Oregon will most likely go 4-0 well, in November. Yeah, I'm going to change it up. I'm going to say one okay. person, Bo Nix. Mm. I, I, I think Bo Nix is the difference maker. He really is. Th this guy is unreal the way he controls his football team. And it's not just the offense. It's the football team during practice in the locker rooms. There's the difference. All right. Wow. And Real quick. Short and sweet. I appreciate <laughs> yes, it, it Anthony. Aaron, any thoughts? <laughs> On the difference, <clears throat> um, I'm not sure there is a difference yet. You know, I trap games are coming, and good teams are coming. And we've seen – I mean, other programs do it too, but Oregon, is, Oregon fans can point back to a lot of games that are heartbreak losses. And we can just go back to 2019 – that team was stacked. That defense gave up 15 points per game. You had Justin Herbert. You had Verdell in that offensive line with Sewell. You had Kayvon as a freshman. And they went and lost to Arizona State. It still blows my mind that they blew that. And that came after a, a big of, win. Man, a bunch and, of double moves, dude. They just got lucky and hit that on came, five that came at, Well, Herbert threw a couple picks. That came after a big win, or shortly after a big win at USC. So, you know, I, I'm not saying this team is better than that team. And so I, I need to see them finish this out because I absolutely believe they could 
very well stumble. Now, better than 2021, which that team beat Ohio State, but I thought coming out of that game that that was like as much of a fluke as you could probably have in terms of winning a big game on the road. And, of course, they lost to Stanford, and in the season they got shellacked twice by Utah. So I think this team is better built to withstand the pressure that's coming than that team was. And, of course, a lot of that can point to the difference between Anthony Brown and Bo Nix. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure at all that this team has, has cleared anything yet. They have a long way to go. Joey. I, for some reason, you guys keep talking about 2019, and, and, and I 100% trust you, and, and it's like, oh, yeah. But for whatever reason, that defense still doesn't stick out to me. Right? And maybe that's just, that's just my, you know, maybe I got COVID brain afterwards and don't remember anything before. But this defense feels different. Right? This defense feels different than in years past. And in November, you are going to need some defense. You're going to need, you're going to need something else other than Bo. Right? Because as great as Bo has been, you're not going to be able to outscore everybody. You're, you know, you got a game against USC coming up in a couple weeks where USC will put up 73, you know, bajillion points on everybody. And sometimes you just, you know, you sometimes you just can't score 74 bajillion. Like you're going to have to, you're going to have to play some defense. The other thing too is I, is I, this coaching staff, this coaching staff feels different. This coaching staff feels, um, they feel like they've got something. They feel like they got something going. They feel like they, they've, they've just got this team climbing and climbing and climbing in a way that we haven't seen in years past. In years past, there's been an you know, explosion, a dip, and then, okay, they get back on track or a dip. Like, this just seems to be one little step at a time. And, and, and that is truly has, that to me goes back to the coaching staff and the job that they're doing. So... Um, I do think this defense is, is going to be a key for, for him going forward. Um, because, yeah, Aaron, you're right. There, there are two very tough games in SC and, and Oregon State and a potential trap game at Arizona State against Dillingham and, you know, sandwiched in between the USC and the Oregon State. That 2019 defense had... You, you guys are missing one clear point. It's something that's outside of Oregon's control. That's a huge factor as to why they have a really good chance to go undefeated in November. The schedule, they're at home against SC and Oregon State. You flip this where you're at home against Cal and Arizona State going on the road to SC and Oregon State, completely different. So the fact that you got dealt this hand for November, this is your November schedule, your two hardest games are at home, makes a huge difference. And I don't think Cal and Arizona State are anything like the trap games that have tripped up Oregon in the past. They just don't have the talent that some of those teams have had where we've seen Oregon drop a game at an Arizona State, drop a game at Arizona. So... I'm going to be bold and just say I'd be shocked if they don't go 4-0 in November. Like They they should clearly handle the remaining of this schedule with the leadership and the lessons they've learned this season. So I'm going to leave it at that. Aaron, unless you got a rebuttal here. Oh, I just wanted to tell Joey that the 2019 defense had six NFL players on it and one stretch of five games only gave up 27 points. That's how good that D was. Show some respect. Wow. You got your point in. All right, next question. (laughs) Emily Taylor, huge fan of the show. We appreciate Emily. Looking at the two final home games, I'm curious, in your guys' opinion, who is going to be the tougher opponent and why? Is it USC or Oregon State? Aaron, I want you to take a look at this one here because you've got the Trojans coming in. As Joey said, they're going to score 73 bajillion points, which it's a lot of push-ups for the Duck. Um, and you got Oregon State. 
Blue collar, tough, gritty, great defense. Uyunglele doing a good job. Who's the tougher matchup for you between those two? First of all, Duck fans, Emily's a great follow on Twitter. Check her out. And uh, we've interacted before. I know she's going to kill me for what I'm going to say right now. But uh, Oregon State, that game is the most scariest for me because, one, USC can't stop anybody. So, like, I don't care if Caleb Williams might have to throw for 600 yards and 17 touchdowns to win that game. And we don't even know if Caleb Williams is still going to be around when that game comes around because if they lose between now and then, they got UW, right? He could pack it in. Why would he play? If they can't win the Pac-12 title, they can't win uh, a national championship, why would he continue to play? That's very much a thing as far as I'm concerned. We'll see. But regardless, they're going to come into that pissed because the, the best shot is the Holiday Bowl now, right? So I just think Oregon handles that game. Oregon State, though, one, interstate rivalry. Two, Ducks leaving the program to go to the Big Ten. Three, Oregon State won last year. And four, Oregon State has a defense and a much better quarterback than they've had in a long time. So that game is the game. And I think that when it comes down to it, that game is going to be for all the marbles. For I wanted it to be for both teams to get to the Pac-12 title game. That might be gone now. I haven't done the math after Oregon State lost Arizona because they hate their kicker too, by the way. But that is the scariest game on the schedule by far. Okay. Guys, do you agree, Joey? Aaron, you forgot five, which is Oregon State's really, really good. Like they, they are. Like they're, they're that. I would have been an immediate Oregon State answer had this last week pri- on Friday, like before watching them play against Arizona, which was just like, what the hell happened? Like that was just so. That was just such an outlier to to what we've seen from Oregon State this year. Uh, and I believe that Jonathan Smith will get, get them back on the right track and get that corrected. And, and yeah, like they're just a solid, solid football team. They're great on defense. Their tailback is, is second in the conference in rushing. Uyunglele is, is playing good football. Like they're just a really good football team top to bottom that doesn't beat themselves. And they've shown that they can win in different ways. They've shown that they can win, you know, a 38-35 type of game, and they've shown that they can win a 14-7 against Utah. Like, this is just a really good Oregon State football team that um, it's going to be a fun one. But, Anthony, Oregon State's lost to Washington State and Arizona at the same time, with all that being said. Yeah, throw that out the window. (laughs) When Oregon and Oregon State play, throw that out the window. Right now, it's not even a question. It's Oregon State. I mean, USC... Everyone said it. They can't stop anyone. Their defense is just doo-doo. I mean, it's 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 silly. It's like, what are we what are we what, what are we doing? Is this flag football? Is this what, and how is it possible, here? Anthony? How can you have all those resources and, and sign all those four and five star kids and you can't put together just an average defense? It doesn't make any sense. No, Boy, I, it's just, it's, I, I think <laughs> say the quiet part out loud for us. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know, here's the thing. That Oregon State Oregon game is is it's going to be a dogfight. But I say again, it's it's to me it's not about who Oregon is playing. It's about Oregon State playing Oregon. I mean they got to bring their lunch. They got to do what they need to do at Autzen Stadium as well as Oregon lost last year. So yeah, that but that's going to be a game. That that you know the USC game. Yeah, you can't stop a great player. Williams is going to throw for so many yards, a lot of touchdowns. That game may be fifty six. To 28, something like that, because their offense is going to score. It's it's made to score points. But again, if you can't stop anybody, Oregon will get stops. USC won't. Okay. 
All right, when we come back, we got to wrap things up, give you our thoughts. Oregon's matchup against Cal. The Ducks are 24-point favorites. We'll give you our keys to that one when we come back. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Yeah, not remotely um, the same team that we've played in the past. These guys are scoring a lot of points. They're uh, extremely efficient. I think they're playing some of their best ball, especially offensively here um, towards the you know towards this point in the season. They're, they found a rhythm. I think they've settled in at quarterback. They have some really talented skill players. I think their running back is leading the conference in yards um, and it's certainly dynamic. Hits some explosive runs. He's you know he's an NFL back. Um, for sure. So they've created a lot of success for themselves on offense and they play really sound on defense. Um, you know, their coaching staff obviously has ties to this place, but they've, they've built a, a brand of what, you know, good defensive football looks like over his career, over Coach Wilcox's career. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that are coming together for them. They're extremely capable teams. So, um, yeah, they, they are playing their best ball right now and they're, they're going to be a challenge with some of the things that they do. Welcome back. Time now for Tools for Victory brought to you by Leatherman. That was Dan Lanning talking about this upcoming matchup against Cal here, Joey. And Oregon comes in. It's the first of three home games in the month of November. You're a 24-point favorite against Cal. He referenced Jade Knott and just the talented running back that he is. What is your key for this one, the tool for Oregon to get a victory against Cal? It's easily a game that the Ducks should win here. The tool. Um... Well, so it's interesting. You could go with the serrated blade, right? You could go with just the straight, you know, like straight blade. Uh, you could go scissors. But I'm going with the Phillips head screwdriver. Just keep cranking it down. Just keep turning, right? Don't let Cal breathe. Every time you get the ball, just give it one more twist. Every time you're on defense, just give it one more twist. And by the end of the game, you're going to have that thing driven into the board and uh, you got yourself a win. Hey, you, you like how I did that? Aaron didn't. Aaron thought that was cheesy. Um, <laughs> he asked me a question about the tool. and I'm going with the Phillips hey, head. Listen, okay? I thought you did a wonderful job do describing thing, the multi-tool functionality Joey? right there, Joey. I'm not going to yeah. pick on you, Joey. You're injured. You're good. Yeah. You well, know. from a tool to a victory <laughs> to an absolute tool. Aaron, your thoughts on this one? <laughs> <laughs> You know what, Jordan? Coming from you, that hurt. <laughs> Newman, I can deal with it, but I'm not sorry. you. I love you, man. But not you. You're supposed to be my brother from another mother. <laughs> Brothers fight sometimes. Anyway, <coughs> anyway, God, people are going to run that on a loop. Um, so Cal finally has an offense. We've been waiting a long time. You know, they're putting up some good numbers on offense. The problem is. All of a sudden, the defense stinks. That was the thing that would sort of keep them in the games in the past. So, you know, Oregon's defense will be tested more so this week than they were at Utah. They may give up some things because Cal does have a good offense, but defensively, they're horrible, and Oregon should blow them out. I just don't see much of a reason to, you know, even have any concern for a trap game or an upset. I, You know, it could end up being like, WSU, where it was close for a little bit, and then they pull away. But Oregon's got this. They're by far the better team. Anthony, yeah. your thoughts, your tool for victory here. Well, I'm not going to use the same thing as Joey did, using the tool and to describe how they're going to win. Yeah, that sounds kind of – that's scary. I mean, that's – you're you know, ugh, I'm not going to do that. I'm just – you know, Oregon is going to uh, take care of business. 
and, and Oregon is talking about themselves compared to what Cal does. Yeah, they respect Cal. You know, Coach Wilcox, this is a well-coached team. He does a good job coaching his football team. But there's too many dudes on the Oregon offense and Oregon defense and even special teams. And four quarters, you know, yeah, Cal may be pumped up and play the first quarter, but after three quarters, after four quarters of football, uh, they're going to get worn down. And Oregon's offense is unstoppable from just looking at last week. They're on a roll, <clears throat> excuse me, and the defense is playing lights out. So, you know, it's going to be a big score. Yeah, <laughs> Oregon's going to win by 28, I believe. You know, Joey, I loved your description. And you got, you got a lot of different tools you can work with here, as you mentioned. You've got... You asked me a question. Phillips said screwdriver. I think you go with the knife and you get the first cut in this one. you got to build a lead, don't you think, Joey? And try to force Cal to throw the ball more than just running it with Ott. Because if you fall down 7-3, 10-7, and now all of a sudden Cal can start to control the clock by running the ball without feeling that sense of urgency to pass it and get back in this game... That's kind of how these upsets happen sometimes. So for me, I think if you're Oregon, you've got to score first and score often like you did against Utah to really force them to be a little bit more one-dimensional. But either way, it's a game that Oregon should win at home against Cal. As far as a score prediction, I'm with you. I think Oregon wins big. I think this is a 41-17 type feeling for this one. 42-18, 42-17. That's it? But what? That's it? so? 42? No, he went from 17 to 18. It's like he's, did you just like, well, something, see, I was trying like to do the going math. for like two or something? Hard and he just altered it. Or, I have a 17. You know, hey, I'm 42? Right now. So just, <laughs> just throw me a bone here. But either way, Oregon versus Cal, the first of three home games in November for the Ducks. The stage is set for them if they want to try and get back to the Pac 12 title game against potentially Washington. That'll do it for this edition of Talking Ducks. Don't forget, you can catch the show on YouTube. We love the comments. Keep chiming in. Keep telling us how much you can't stand Fentress sometimes. It's good for that algorithm. And we'll get to more of your questions next week as Oregon will prepare to take on USC. But from all of us here, thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.